So now, first, I'd like to be able to introduce Laura. Hello, good morning, everyone. My name is Laura, and I am a recovering compulsive overeater, undereater. Oh, I feel very nervous. Thank you to the committee for everything that you've done to uh, put this convention on and thank you to all who showed up to support me and everyone who's here today. Uh, I want to tell you what it was like. Oh wait, first I got to tell you where I'm from. I am from the great borough of Queens. And uh, I am going to be in OA, God willing, a day at a time. March will be 32 years. Uh, I started when I was two. <laughs> And, um, you know, I came into the program by God's grace and a coworker of mine who 12 stepped me. My current abstinence, um, November 22nd and 23rd, God willing, will be 27 years free from the middle of the night eating. And um, I've been off the sugar either 31 or 32 years. Uh, I can't seem to remember whether my last piece of C-A-K-E was, that was four times the size was, that it should have been was, um, whether it was like a year before program or the a year into the program. I don't think it was actually the year I was in program, but either way, uh, I have given it, away- Excuse me, Laura, it, yes. it's Judy speaking. There seems to be a bit of static on your line. I'm not okay. sure if the speaker could be, the microphone could be closer or further away. Thank you. Okay. I am using this device, but I don't know if my audio would be okay. I'm going to unplug it and you guys tell me if the audio works better. No, no. Renee is saying, Lynn Renee is saying, no, don't do that. I will try not to move. So anyway, you know, this is how God works for me. Man plans, God laughs. Uh, whatever people hear is what they are supposed to hear. All right, Laura, when you had the, the microphone down, that's it. If okay. you could try speaking, that would be good. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'm going to just let go and let God, and that's it. Whatever is said is what's supposed to be said. Um, by the way, I'd like the timer to give me two minutes at the end because uh, just let me know when there's two minutes left because I would like to read something that has become very meaningful for me. So, okay. Where did I come from in this program? I didn't come from big numbers. I was never obese as a child. But I had this disease from very early on. My parents suffered from various diseases, mental health, alcoholism, and um, I was a product of that as a child. Uh, there was a lot of criticism growing up. Laura, you're too sensitive. You're too this. You're too that. And as a result, I ate and I did other things to cope. I drank excessively. I, uh, those are two of the main things, the food. And the alcohol, thank God, I was able to put the alcohol down and um, I came into OA uh, after actually another 12-step program. But, you know, I can abuse anything. When I started, started working my absence in the beginning, I actually um, started shopping compulsively. And I'm not really a big shopper, like buying six pairs of socks in various colors, <laughs> like you know, that's my thing. I mean, I like socks or whatever, but, you know, part of it I know is the compulsion. So this 
compulsion can manifest in many areas, but I'm here to talk about my OA story. So, okay, so what did I do growing up? You know, I always felt less than. I had these two tall, thin friends who I loved dearly, but I always compared myself to them. And um, at least one of them, for sure, also has an eating disorder. So what was I doing? I was comparing to people that were probably as sick as I was, but I just didn't know it. That's my whole story. Always feeling like the little kid on the outside looking in. Um, you know, I did things that everybody else did with food. I ate out of the garbage. I, um, you know, binged, binged, binged. And by the end of my disease, I was in a basement apartment by myself, binging like crazy and uh, almost passing out from all the sugar I consumed. And that just... Oh, what a hellish life. And then at some point in the program, like four or five years into the program, I was in graduate school and I eventually relapsed then, you know, I was supposedly working the program, the steps, you know, I was sponsoring, I had a sponsor, I was going to meetings, but apparently I guess I wasn't working those steps the way that they're laid out because I relapsed and um, it was very humbling and I'm happy to say today, thank you, God, that I'm a relapse survivor. And uh, that is a miracle. Um, I'm very grateful for that because... Excuse when, me, Laura? Yes? The, the static, again, is in inter interfering with the... Okay, well, I'm just going to unplug this thing and let's just go with it now. Okay. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. All right. Well, whatever it is, it is. So that's it. Okay. So, um, okay. All right. So what else happened as a result? Um, I can tell you that I'm grateful that I heard somebody in another 12-step program who talked about getting on their knees every night. And that was uh, a saving grace for me because the light bulb went off. And let me know that, uh, wow, if that person can get sober and do that, maybe I could stop eating in the middle of the night. So I'm grateful that I heard that message. Uh, God's message to me also, you know, thank God for a great sponsor who told me, Laura, you have to just, you know, just commit to me that you're not going to be eating before 6 o'clock in the morning. And I, and I was able to do that, 5.58 a.m. 5.59. The food had me by the throat, but by 6 a.m. I was like, oh, thank you, God, for letting me get through that. And I waited. And that's how I built one day at a time of almost, thank you, God, 27 years free from middle of the night eating because nobody wants to wake up. I don't want to wake up feeling drunk. So, okay. So that's the basic beginning of the story. Where I am at now is... Um, I feel, you know, I work the steps, I work the traditions, I work the OA concepts of service. Uh, where's my journey come from? I mean, it was very humbling to realize that I, the great I, could not fix my eating problem. I was too scared to, uh, I mean, I, didn't, I was in a lot of denial. I thought, well, I couldn't even say the word eating disorder. I had to say eating problem because I just... I knew what that meant, and it was just too scary for me. So because of the gentleness of the people in this program and the love I received, I learned about how to surrender. And because, you know what, 
the only thing that really made me surrender by the 20, by 27 years ago was the fact that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just did not want to keep waking up feeling like crap because I was eating the wrong foods at the wrong time. So today my abstinence is, you know, thank God I didn't pick up sugar 27 years ago, but it doesn't matter because the carbohydrates are also something that I need to watch. So, all right, so what do I do? I, I work the steps to the best of my ability. I'm finishing step 12 in the OA workbook, which I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, I got involved in service uh, almost pretty early on, which was helpful. I started with Intergroup and I worked my way up. I have done service at the region level. I was a region rep for many years. I was a region board member for three years, which I'm very proud of that. I went to World Service Business Conference. I've been on all kinds of committees. Service helped me to become part of who I am. Oh my, it says, please check your connection and use a different speaker. Well, this is just part of my language. I'm going to say it's a shit show. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. This is like the worst experience I've ever had as in a qualification, but oh well, that's life. I don't know. It says switch to phone audio. I don't know what to do. Any, any of the techies here want to guide me? So, excuse me one second. I'm just checking my settings here. Lynn, are, are you okay with the interpretation? I think, uh, Laura, you know, with the time we have left, you um, may want to continue. If Lynn can hear you well enough and interpret, I think we can all kind of uh, catch up. Okay, Laura? Is that good? Oh, now you're frozen. Okay. Laura? There we go. Laura, may I unmute you? Laura, could you try speaking? You're muted. You're muted, Laura. Oh, okay. So, um, Laura, I, I, uh, I think that uh, we may need to stop this share. If uh, we can't get you, we can't get you uh, here. Let me see what I can do here. Okay, Laura. Okay, I'm back. Okay, great. Okay. Hey, what a nightmare. Okay. So, Laura, unfortunately, yes. you only have five minutes left. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. I'm happy to get this great. over and done with this. Thank you. You sound great now. You sounded good when we first started, but now you sound great. Good. Okay. Well, let's hope everybody say a prayer. So anyway, the last five minutes, what am I trying to get at? The fact is that the program works. I am a miracle of this program. That this is something that I obviously it's very, um, it's, it's very painful for me. It's okay, though, because no matter what, I won't eat over this. 
you know, this is what my disease does to me. It gets me into so many expectations and I just can't meet them. I mean, last night everything was fine. I don't know why this is going this way today, but obviously this is life on life's terms. I have to tell you that because of this program, I survived my mother dying, my father dying. I survived breast cancer. This isn't nearly as bad as that, but you know, something about this feels like a public humiliation and I know it's not, it's not. It's just part of life on life's terms. And it's okay, because as long as I don't eat over it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not that important. I'm of service to others. I'm of service to as many people as I can be in program. And um, that's the most important thing, that I'm not going to eat over this. I don't need to eat over my feelings today. I can feel my feelings. I can allow my feelings. I can do a 10-step and good look at why am I fearful, why am I this, why am I that, but ultimately it's okay for me to feel what I feel. And it's okay. It's okay. So I'm just glad that I'm allowing this because this is where the growth is, because this is the stuff that I would eat over. And I'm not going to hate myself. I'm not going to hate anybody. You know, maybe like, okay, God, why is this happening to me? But you know what? This is life on life's terms. So uh, I'm going to end with this reading because this kind of crystallizes it for me. This is a reading out of Lifeline Sampler, and it's a wonderful reading, and I feel like it's the truth for me today. I couldn't be here without the people that I know in my in my circle and my loving higher power. I meditate every day, about half an hour. I journal every day. I do service. I exercise. I take care of my physical health, my emotional health, my spiritual health. I have fun. I've done all kinds of fun things in recovery now because of the fact that I'm very grateful that I have something to give. And this story is called Tunnel Vision that kind of crystallizes it for me. This is from July, August, 1976 on page 172 in the Lifeline Sampler. Here, I'll give a little shameless plug for our wonderful literature. It's called Tired, it's called Tunnel Vision. Tired, heavy, dejected, isolated, I stand at the far end of a long tunnel that stretches before me. A pinpoint of light at the other end of the tunnel is barely visible, somehow shining through heaps of junk. Someone has handed me a small shovel and I begin to dig. At, fir at first, the thought of the work almost overwhelmed me, but I am encouraged by the realization that for once I am not alone. I am in a network of tunnels and other people shout encouragement from up ahead. They tell of seeing more light as they dig and finding less junk as they progress. Already, more light is shining in the tunnel. I dig, then rest, reflect, and replenish my body. Inside me is a warmth that is growing. My way appears clearer. Newcomers far behind me now stand where I once stood, and I take up the shout of encouragement. Pick up a tool. We'll share what we have. There is hope if you are willing. You will only see a glimmer at first, but the light is there for you, and you will be changed by it. Work toward that light. Sometimes a person drops the tool and leaves a tunnel, backing into total darkness. Others inside call, keep coming back. They know that in time, a deserted tunnel will fill up again with junk, and the light will fade. The light is there. Pick up your tool and dig. It becomes easier as you become more willing to work. 
rest, reflect, replenish, and rejoice. The tunnels join in the network and there is fellowship with others. No longer alone and with a common goal, we share the light in humble gratitude, knowing the promise that is ours. So with that, I will just end and just say thank you, higher power. Thank you for all my sponsors, current, present, past. Thank you for all of you who share your experience, strength, and hope to help me to become who I've become in this program. And you know what? The most important thing is that I have me um, and I'm okay as I am, regardless of what my disease tells me, regardless of what other people think. And as long as I help others in, and follow God's guidance, then it all works out just fine. Thanks for listening. Okay, now I would like to introduce Megan. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic. Sorry, too fast. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, sorry. Uh, my name is Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic. I'm from Ottawa, Canada. Uh, thank you for the privilege of doing service here today. Um, I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, thank you, Laura, for sharing your story despite some very difficult circumstances. And merci pour la traduction, Lynn Renee. Uh, before we begin, I want to say that I don't speak for OA. This is just my story and my opinions. Uh, if something I bring, uh, say brings up big feelings for you, uh, please talk to your sponsor after the meeting. Uh, I'm supposed to share my story for five minutes and then 10 minutes on the topic. Uh, this topic feels very interlinked with my story, so hopefully uh, I'm sharing in a, an appropriate manner. Uh, so I identify as an anorexic uh, compulsive overeater bulimic uh, because when I was a newcomer, it was important for me to be able to relate to someone in the rooms. And I thought I was the only person who had ever gone from being uh, anorexic to compulsive overeater and binge eating. Uh, to share some numbers, I've been in OA since 2001. I came in this, uh, these rooms uh, when I was 20 as an anorexic who had started to binge and couldn't stop. Uh, to be clear, I never would have come to this program <laughs> if I was able to keep restricting. Um, although I know now that anorexics can find a home in recovery in OA too. I'm 5'6". Uh, my lowest weight was about 93 pounds uh, and my highest weight uh, in excess of 155, maybe more. I went from the lowest weight to my highest weight in a period of uh, about five months. So that was, I gained about 60% of my body weight. Um, between coming into these rooms and getting abstinent, my clothing size ranged from, I wore children's clothing or a double zero to a size 12. Um, today, I don't weigh myself on a regular basis, um, but I usually wear a size four or six. Uh, outside of two pregnancies, uh, that has been my clothing size for probably, uh, like 17 years, um, which is a miracle. Uh, my story starts as an undergrad when I was in university. I had gained some weight as a freshman. A boyfriend broke up with me. I had lost my identity as a star student. And uh, I naively tried to con control something, have, do something I could control, uh, which was my weight. And so I went on a mild diet. Uh, like most compulsive eaters, uh, I don't do things um, in moderation. Uh, by the next year, um, my period had stopped for over a year. I was down to 93 pounds. I was losing hair. I was cold all the time. 
I was absolutely obsessed with weight and calories. I had a very, very small life. Um, and I also felt very powerful and figured that I had, uh, felt that I had figured out like this weight problem and why couldn't everyone else do what I was doing. Uh, I was very sick. Um, I was 12 stepped by a psychiatrist uh, who probably saved my life. I was not interested in a program called OA. It sounded terrible to my anorexic ears, like, ugh. Um, you know, I remember wishing that I could have been addicted to cocaine or alcohol. That would have been much sexier. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm saner now. Um, but at one point my flip switched. And so I went from anorexia and then I started to binge and I, I couldn't stop binging. Uh, I, I couldn't stop. And, and so I became willing as the desperate are and I'm also a good people pleaser. Uh, so I went away. Uh, at my first meeting, I think I had probably, you know, was up to around 100 pounds by that time, uh, binging. I attended meetings outside of the suburbs of Vancouver, which is where I grew up. Uh, and I really felt like I didn't belong. And, and frankly, I think the women there also felt like I didn't belong. Um, <laughs> the women there were much older than me uh, and in hindsight, maybe didn't have solid recovery. I made myself go to four meetings because um, my psychiatrist kept pushing me to do so. Uh, and in the next couple of months, I went and did some more research with the food. Um, for me, that included a short attempt at a geographical cure and hitting new lows. I was binging every one to two days, um, breaking promises to myself on a daily basis. I started to try vomiting. I was eating against my will. I was watching stretch marks appear on my body and the number on the scale go up. Uh, and I started thinking about suicide. Uh, then with the product of my psychiatrist, I became willing to try some different meetings in the heart of the city. Uh, and that's where I found other young women, uh, young people, I'll say, but mostly they were women, um, people with eating disorders that looked a bit more like mine. Um, I found community and fellowship and I found hope. There was a lot of recovery there. Uh, so it's important for me to say that this program did not work for me right away. Uh, in fact, my disease got worse. I kept binging and binging. Between the spring when I went to my first OA meetings and then the fall, I had gained about 60 pounds. I kept trying to go back to restrictive eating, uh, but I couldn't. I got a sponsor. I went to a lot of meetings. I did service. I worked the steps. I went to more meetings. Um, I hated myself and my weight and I became more determined to purge. Um, so if you're bulimic, it's a very violent act. Um, purging did not come naturally to me and I was very determined because uh, I wanted to control my weight. Um, I became more desperate. Uh, my beautiful sponsor who, uh, so at that time she seemed very wise and old, she was 29. Uh, she told me to keep coming back. Uh, I remember leaving a message after purging in a construction site at 2 a.m. in the morning and uh, she said in this like a voice full of compassion. Um, she said, I don't know what else to tell you, uh, but keep coming back and keep doing what you're doing. And the old timers in my home meetings told me not to leave five minutes before the miracle happened. I upped my meetings. I continued to do service. I kept working on my fourth step, which I know this is uh, maybe not a popular opinion about how to work the program, but this again is just my story. Um, and the miracle happened for me during a step one, two, three retreat. Uh, the leader of the retreat asked 
if it was your higher power's will for you to weigh 300 pounds, would you be okay with that? Could you be happy? And for the first time, I was able to let go, like, albeit temporarily, uh, of what that number on the scale meant to my self-worth and believe that my higher power could take care of me and that it was, you know, plausible that I could be happy in a, in a body that uh, wasn't the weight I wanted it to be. Um, somehow between that retreat and my step four work, my hours of abstinence stitched themselves together and I got some years under my belt. Uh, so I want to tell you, I have not been abstinent for 19 years or 18 years, um, though I've never left away. Uh, this December, I'm coming up to 14 years abstinence uh, from binging and purging, which is my baseline abstinence. Um, I relapsed a couple of times uh, briefly, uh, but my relapses were very violent. Um, there was no longer a decision on whether or not I would purge. It was uh, a must do and um, never pretty. So I don't have time to tell you enough about uh, what it's like now in full. Um, but what I can tell you is that this program has given me a huge life. I moved across the country. I have traveled multiple times alone in foreign countries with my higher power for fun, which would have been too scary for me to have done. I have meaningful friendships in and outside of the rooms. Uh, a few weeks ago, I celebrated my 11th wedding anniversary. Um, a marriage that has only lasted because of OA and step work um, and the outside help my sponsor encouraged me to get. I have had two abstinent pregnancies and today I have two little boys who uh, hold my heart and show me on a daily basis uh, that I am powerless in many ways. Um, I have navigated complex medical issues with my youngest son and I've learned to advocate for him in the medical system. Uh, while doing step work in the background. I've gone on stress leave when life became too much and was propped up by OA members who had been there. And I have made it to the other side with step work, also with outside help. Uh, today, I have a job I've dreamed about, um, but I still struggle in balancing it all. And I heard the keynote speaker say that also today, <laughs> that balance is hard to find. Uh, I work my OA program, uh, totally imperfectly. I, I still think sometimes I'm going to be called out for, um, you know, not doing it right. Uh, but the, the one thing I have done is I keep coming back. Um, so in terms of the topic of, um, I think it's something like uh, all sizes in OA. Um, the first thing I want to mention comes directly from our literature. Tradition three states, that the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. It also states that no person, uh, that a person can never be too overweight, too underweight, or too normal in weight to be an OA member, and that there are no weight requirements of any kind in OA. And that's just from the first page of Tradition 3 in our 12 and 12. I didn't have to go very far. Five minutes. Um, thank you. I go to OE meetings where there are a variety of sizes. Um, in truth, though, I don't um, see body size in the same way that I used to. Um, but I think a lot of members where I attend meetings are in regular healthy body sizes. Um, you know, that said, I am really cognizant uh, that a healthy body size does not mean recovery. And, um, you know, I came in many years where I was in the most pain in OA, I was um, in a normal size body. Um, 
you know, an old timer told me that my recovery started to show in my eyes. And I think that's true. You know, then I've watched, um, you know, other people in recovery and like a switch goes off in their eyes where they're suddenly light. Um, but when I was a newcomer, uh, body size mattered a lot. It was how I judged my worth. And, and sometimes it was how I judged your worth. Uh, so the big book tells us that we have a magic mag magnifying mind and whatever I focus on will get bigger. My first sponsor used to tell me that when I focused on the food part of my program, then the food got bigger, uh, which was not what this, you know, like calorie food obsessed person needed. Um, the same is, you know, on exercise. If I focus on exercise of my, as my solution, um, exercise becomes all consuming. Uh, when I focus on the differences in the fellowship, like body size, like the difference between my disease and yours, um, or the difference between my abstinence and yours, uh, then the differences seem bigger and I feel like I don't belong or I you know, question my place in the fellowship. When I focus on the solution, the common solution of uh, the 12 steps, the differences fade in the background. Um, we have the same spiritual illness and uh, our solution is the same, God and the 12 steps. Uh, you know, so that said, I, I can't ignore the, that my disease is the way it is. And when I first came into OA, I didn't identify as an anorexic. I had failed at that and I was embarrassed. I felt no one would believe that I had been anorexic. Um, my first sponsor shared with me that when she came into program, she thought bulimics were skinny. Uh, so she didn't identify as a bulimic, despite the fact that she was vomiting on a daily basis um, because she was overweight. Uh, since coming to these rooms, I have met many members who've swung from one end of the scale to the other. Um, I've had long, long periods of reprieve from my weight, body weight obsession. I've done a lot of work around it, um, but I also feel like I was forced into submission uh, when I was a newcomer and um, yeah, I became so powerless that I kept hitting subsequent bottoms. Um, but my brain is still my brain. Um, you know, I've heard in these rooms that I am a pickle who cannot go back to being a cucumber. Uh, so I, you know, I'm granted a daily reprieve from uh, starving, from binging, from purging, from binging. Um, but, you know, especially with the body weight obsession, with exercise, you know, it's really um, uh, cunning, baffling and powerful, my diseases. And, um, you know, that's why I need a sponsor, because it is easy to, um, you know, start doing behaviors that are not normal if I don't check in with someone. Um, you know, and my experience as someone who's restricted and my experience who, with working with other women who have had that kind of history, uh, we lie. <laughs> uh, we lie to, um, to our families, uh, we lie to ourselves, and we, we don't see the truth for what it is. Um, and I have so many examples in my own story to attest to that. Um, sorry, I'm just going to skip. I know I'm running out of time. So you know, one thing I want to remind myself is that my abstinence could kill you and your abstinence could kill me. I sometimes feel uh, very self-conscious that my abstinence is different than others, that I eat sugar, that I do desserts. Um, I have a very flexible food plan. Uh, although it's rare in the meetings I attend, I have attended meetings where I can get triggered when people start talking about cutting out food groups or counting calories. Uh, but I just have to, you know, keep going back to like, that's not for me, you know, like that's, you know, that's their abstinence, their higher power has a plan for them. And I am working with my sponsor and my higher power. 
and maybe, you know, and also my abstinence has changed through the years, um, just my story. Uh, so I currently work with several women who have a history of uh, restricting and binge eating, which is a blessing in my life uh, because I can see my own disease reflected back to me and I have to practice what I preach. Uh, but again, my focus is on the steps. Um, my sponsor and I sometimes talk about food and exercise. In fact, she uh, texted me this morning to um, about something that I've been doing in my food. Um, but our focus is on the steps. Um, and this is a solution that's been hammered into me from day one is reading the big book, working the steps. Time's up. Thanks very much. Um, okay, so I'll just close. Um, thank you very much for uh, to the organizers and um, the message I would like to convey to those who are still struggling is to keep coming back and don't leave before the miracle happens. Okay, thank you, Megan. Okay, okay. My name is Scott. I'm compulsive. Oh, I'm compulsive overeater. Okay, I've been in program now for for over 26 years. I came in abstinent through treatment. Yeah, I do come from the big numbers. You know, I was never anorexic or bulimic, but it just the binging is all I seem to care about. I remember it first came out when I was about nine years old. And I started to put weight on, although it was, wasn't much at first. I was still able to be very sports-minded. I was still able to play Little League baseball and junior high school softball, no problems. But it was, but I started to put the weight on mainly through my teenage years to the point where I was hard on my clothes. I was, I was getting sick all the time because of the, because of the weight. And, you know, and you know, my, my doctor put me on my first diet when I was nine years old, just three meals a day, a snack or so in between. And to these this day, these days, that looks awfully familiar to me because that's exactly what I'm doing now. But but it took a lot of weight. It took a lot away from me. You know, I did I had body image issues. Who's gonna want to date a person my size? So I did very little dating. And all, you know, through that, and any, I felt that anybody who was, who did date me was just trying to be nice. They really didn't care about me at all. So I went through the years just lying to myself, lying to other people, stealing, and, you know, and just, you know, saying, I didn't eat this, even though the evidence was there that I did, was having it. And I went through the years, my first, and my first, uh, my, my first successful diet, so-called diet, was a commercial plan. I weighed in. I wanted just to lose the weight, and it was a, and they gave me a lot of food to eat, so I was able to binge through the day. And I weighed in there a little at a little over four hundred pounds at the time, but I did very well, and I was like a star. But of course, losing the weight was no problem. But then I always got to a point where I was putting it back. I was cheating little by little and always built up to where I was putting the, putting the weight back. Like when I, at one point, when I was doing very well, I got I had a serious relationship. I got married, graduated from school. It took me a long time to do that. Got a job. But then was very, but then again, I was lying and cheating about the food. Now to my wife. The only kink was at that time, my wife was 
very 12-step oriented. They pushed me into, she pushed me into going to OA and I wanted the approval. So I had gone to OA for a while, sat there like a lump on the log, gaining more weight than I was losing and still lying, lying about the weight, lying about my money and, and the whole bit. But until it got to the point where I actually hit the bottom, I had seen myself as a thin person. I was home waiting to go back to work that night. I saw myself as a thin person, and that was my bottom. Somebody had told me about a treatment center. I had called them up. I pushed my way in, and I had no thoughts about OA. I'll dry out or go back to this commercial plan, and that wasn't meant to be. They, they were very 12-step oriented, and I knew I was home. Once I came, came out of the treatment center, I went right back to my first meeting, only this time things were different. When I came into that treatment center, though, let me tell you, I was 471 pounds at the time. But I did very well. I, was, I got myself a sponsor. I was able to work the steps. I took on service, which was a godsend to me because I kept me grounded there. But I was also living too much on the pink cloud. You know, 14 months into recovery, a 225-pound weight loss because I was just sticking to the food plan. I came home one morning from work. I found my wife in bed, the victim of an attempted suicide. And, and, I, and I lost the recovery not too long after that. I was, went to see her in the hospital. There was a sign there at a deli three cookies for a dollar, and he went for it. And I lost the recovery right there. And people would, you know, and, but I stayed within the rooms and stayed within the rooms and people would try to get me so much for help, but I couldn't seem to stick to it. I had gone back to treatment again, hoping to save my marriage and my job, and I wound up losing both anyway. And I was still coming back to the rooms. I was still, it's a cry for help. I was still gaining the weight. I was gaining more and more weight to the point where I was housebound. I became housebound and just ordering in all sorts of food, spending all sorts of money, but I never left the room. I was able to get out to one meeting a week and one therapy session a week, and that was it. I was housebound since then. And back in two. Back in 2000, when I wanted to go into treatment again, based on a friend, they would not take me in because they said, treatment will not work for you. We will pay for gastric bypass. I had enough recovery to know it's not going to work. I will still obsess about it. And this, I said, even if I got a good diet, how do I get around? They got me a scooter. I got the scooter, and it broke the isolation I was able to get out. And two years later, my higher power was at work. My insurance, this treatment center got the insurance to pay to pay for it. And I went down to, to treatment again. And they were also 12-step oriented. And they, they made sure we got to five meetings a week through the sessions. And they took me off sugar and flour, two things I could never thought I got, I could do without. They got me to weigh and measure my food. They also got me to put my recovery first. I lost my mother in my first recovery. My father was sick now. He had to take care of himself. And once I came back, I was then destined to put my own recovery first, even before my own family. 
by the time I came into this treatment center, I was 550 pounds. Only this time, it worked, it worked beautifully. I lost the diet mentality. I was simply on a, a food plan to keep me from doing the binging. It was a maintenance plan all along. All along. I took the, I worked the steps again. I, I took service to a higher level than I, than I ever thought. I was asked to come back to my intergroup as a region rep. I took on other service positions there. And I moved up to world service. And I always put my recovery first. First to there. To there. When I had taken on a job, I went back to to the job that literally was attacking my recovery. I wanted the food too badly. And with that, I went to my supervisor and I said, I have to quit. I cannot stay here. And I was very fortunate that I left on good terms. Okay, my father at the time was terminally ill. And two weeks later, he had passed away. And I made, again, I made it through the, the, the mourning process absolutely. I was able to take care of myself. And two years later, I was able to get a job through an internship. And I've doing an internship with a major hospital. And now the stress was there, but now I was handling it program-wise. Nothing, nothing could interfere with that. And my coworkers know where I'm coming from. I've learned to package up my own food, to bring my own food, to food and work my meetings around my, my job and whatever else. I've had good, such good recovery. I have I had, I've had such good support. I've made a lot of friends within the rooms there throughout the region. And, and I've been able to just, you know, be there of service for everybody else, just like they were being of service for me also. I have been able to maintain a 360-pound weight loss for the past 15 years mainly by simply sticking to, the, to a food plan, sticking to the recovery a day at a time. The word diet, now anybody says, I see your diet is working well, I can't say anything, but, it, but I still find it very offensive to, for the word diet. You know, and, that, and that's just me. That, that's just the way I have, you know, this is just the way I have been. I've been able to gain such freedom through the recovery. And, and I've learned, you know, I'm not, while there may not be as many people who are as heavy as I am within the program, they're there, and I've learned to work with them. When Five I was minutes, at, Scott. Thank you. When I was, at, I was at a region convention a while back in New Hampshire, and, and so many come in in the wheelchair, must have been about 700 pounds, and of course, I had to go over there, and I was able to help to try and help them and work with people, especially if they're coming where I am coming from. That is the way I've been doing that. Doing that. And the and like I said, the recovery is there. I've been able to go from you know, being barely walk, being able to walk across my apartment to be able to walk in excess of five miles a day without thinking anything of it. And that, is, and that to me has been a blessing for me. 
and I know I've beat, I feel as if I've beaten the odds. I am fortunate never to have had a heart attack, although I do have my heart problems. When a doctor had once told my wife, when I was 35, if your husband wants to live to see 40, he'd better start losing the weight. It was, I was 40 when I came into program. And at the and at the end of this year, I'm about to turn 67. And nobody likes to turn all that old, but to me, it's a blessing because I because I should have been dead a long time ago. So I'd like to leave everybody here and, and just cut it short and hear from everybody else. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we will now open the floor for question and answer session. Please type your questions in the, in the Q&A function, not the chat. The Q&A moderator will read out the questions and to the speakers, and the speakers will have time for brief answers. Please set the time for three minutes. Okay, um, thank you, everybody. I'm the question and answer monitor, moderator, and I don't see any questions. Okay. Scott, how long have you maintained your weight loss? You're muted. I started my weight loss it was in treatment back in July of 2002. I forgot to say that I am absent now over 18 years. It took me three years to lose the weight. I'm maintaining for 15 years. We're waiting for more questions in the question and answer box. How long has Scott maintained his weight loss? Is what well, like I said, I'm maintaining 15 years. Yes, we just answered that question. They're asking the same. <laughs> Did you have gastric bypass? No, no, I did not. I, I had even in relapse. I felt I had enough recovery to know that I would, that I would still be obsessing, and I would still have to find a way to have the food. So I, I resisted it. Okay. Do any of the speakers have body image issues with themselves or others? Any of the speakers? Just I'd like to answer that one. Um, body image issues, yes, somewhat. I mean, when I weigh myself once a month, I pray before I get on the scale, and sometimes I love the number, and sometimes I don't. I did at some point uh, try to get rid of like 0.25 of an ounce of food per day to make my weight the way that I want it to be, not because of under eating, but just out of good program. And that seemed to have helped. But you know, it's for me, I just have to know that, you know, my body is God's business, not my business. Thank God I wore a nice shirt today. And I wore my nice necklace. I don't think you could see it. But so I do try to do what they say. And just for today, dress becomingly, keep your voice low, 
I got my hair done in a different way. That's a big deal for me to feel good about myself. I mean, this is me doing it myself, which is a miracle. It looks pretty good. Even with a good hair day, I still melted down, but it's okay. So um, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Scott, again, how did you overcome shame after relapse? Okay, for me, I just stayed, I just stayed within the rooms and nobody, you know, I felt this shame, but I always spoke about it. I was within the rooms and I just, and when I, once I got into, into treatment again, I got my, my recovery back. The shame just disappeared. And I was able to be very honest about it. So, and it was accepted. So that's how, that's how it just, just by sticking around. Thank you. Laura, what steps do you go through to deal with stress and not eat? Um, I do a lot of prayer. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of phone calling. I do a lot of journaling, dear God. I do a lot of, you know, exercise. Um, walking is a really great thing for me. I um, do uh, call people and ask them how they are. I go to my literature and I try to reference certain specific types of literature in a way, depending on what I need. Um, and I just keep reminding myself that no matter what happens, God has got me in his care. That's my third step in his care, not his punishment, not his hatred, not his disappointment. God has got me in his care. And whatever I am going through is something that I'm supposed to learn something from. And just, you know, like the first rule of thumb for me is, I had to learn to take care of myself first. And that was not easy because of course, you know, my cats need me and my husband needs me and my, you know, sponsees need me and all that. But you know what? I got to do me first, my higher power first, actually above me, but basically I got to do me first. And however that looks for people, even if it's just five minutes of your, by yourself for your own personal growth, then amen to a beginning. So thanks. Thank you. Megan, what caused you to switch from anorexia to binge eating? Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, um, I was going to try a day of um, unrestricted eating just one day. It was going to be limited to 24 hours. Uh, but it was, you know, like it was like letting the lions out of the cage because I hadn't really eaten um, in a long period of time. Um, you know, my, my subsequent lessons learned in program are whenever I try to restrict my food, it leads to a binge. Uh, yeah, that's my truth. But I, I think, um, you know, our literature talks about like extended periods of having the food being under control and then it coming back with a vengeance. So I, I think that's, um, I think that was part of it for me. Thank you. To all the speakers, how do you work with others who seem resistant to change? Megan, you're muted. Sure. Um, you know, so I think one of the most important things when I take on a new sponsee is that they're willing um, and they're open-minded and they're going to be honest with me, you know, the how of the program. Um, you know, this sounds a little bit heartless, uh, but if they're not willing to change, they may not have done enough research yet. Scott, what do you think are the most important steps and with tools to help you stay abstinent for 15 years? Okay, the tool, okay. 
Well, obviously, the first, for me, it was always the first step first that got me going to to hit, to start with all the rest of the steps, and the, and the two the tools, the most important tools for me, two tools I do the most are the food. Uh, uh, it's a plan of eating because I had to follow that, and the service. Those are the two tools I use the most. I do use the rest of the tools as I as I as needed. So, could I just get back to the other question, Judy, about the sponsees? Um, I just know that you know the program says to give back what you so generously been given, and that's what I try to do. Um, I certainly re expect people to call me on time because I don't have a lot of time. So when they call me, whatever time we agree upon, I do expect them to call me at that time. And if they can't do that or won't do that, then that's the bare minimum. I wish I could tell you that everybody I sponsor is abstinent, but they're struggling, they're working on it. And you know what, as long as I stay abstinent and uh, you know, a day at a time. It's a little disappointing sometimes, but you know what? Everybody's doing the best they can. And, you know, their higher powers got their timing figured out, not me. So I just got to keep reminding myself, you know, I'm just there to do service in the 12 and 12. It said, and I found this quite by accident when I went to a convention, the last little heart that was available that I picked up before I walked in the room said service is his own, its own reward. And I like that. And I hold on to that. Thank you. What is your daily routine? Any of the people? Anybody want to answer that one? What's your daily routine? Well, for me, I do I do work. So I get up in the morning. I'm working three days a week from home and two in my office. So I'll get up, I'll have breakfast. Breakfast. When I'm home, I attend a virtual meeting in the morning, every morning at 7.15. I then start my day and I, you know, I work through the day. And then at night, I will keep in touch with others or I'll attend another meeting as I usually do. And on the weekend, I just make my meet meetings in the morning and I will just get out for the afternoon. I will no longer be housebound because to me, that's a form of isolation. Thank you. Uh, does anybody have sleep issues such as waking up early and not getting back to sleep? And how do you manage it? Megan? I can answer only, uh, you know, because I nursed two kids and was up in the middle of the night frequently. And uh, sometimes I couldn't get back to sleep. And, um, you know, there's some stuff happening in my life right now, which feels a bit scary. Um, the way I deal with sleep issues is I pray. Um, I, I do a lot of prayer in the middle of the night. When I was a newcomer, my sponsor told me I needed a higher power that would be there for me at three in the morning. And, um, you know, so prayer is a really, uh, like prayer is part of my, prayer is my daily routine and prayer is the big ingredient, how I deal with um, middle of the night sleep issues. Thank you. I, I'd like to just jump in on that. I also pray when I'm laying there, if I've forgotten to pray for people or, you know, ask God for their intentions for them, then I do that. But I also do a gratitude list that has helped me very, very consistently. And I will go through A, whatever, B, whatever, A through Z. Now I barely get to maybe G. If I actually get to N, that's a lot. 
if I go actually to Z, then I start all over again. And now that I've trained myself to do it so frequently, it really works very well. And um, I just have to kind of remember, I just have to relax and it's okay. You know, I'm, even though I'm retired, I don't sleep late because I have to get up and call my OA sponsor. But if I had to, I could call her and say, listen, I'm really tired. I'm going to go back to bed. I'll talk to you later or tomorrow. And that works too. So it doesn't matter. I am actually amazed that I'm able to get by with as much sleep, as little sleep as I do at times. And it usually works out fine with me as long as I do everything else right, as far as work in my program. Thanks. Yeah, in this recovery, my sleep habits have changed, especially in the, during the pandemic. I'm normally up early. So I do go to bed early to make sure that I, have enough, that I do get enough sleep. Other than that, I've had very few sleep problems once in a while, a little insomnia. I used to suffer from sleep apnea, but the weight loss did clear that up very nicely. So I know, so I'm no longer in treatment with that. Thank you so much. Do you all consider yourselves addicted to food? I definitely, I definitely do, because you know, because to me, an addiction is what got me here. And it got me so obese. I was never going to leave. So I just have to deal with it a day at a time. So even though I'm not compulsively overeating a day at a time, the addiction is there. The thoughts are still going to be there from time to time. Megan, you want to go? Uh, yeah, it's not a clear cut answer for me. Um, you know, I, I think when I came in as a newcomer, I had certainly had trigger foods. I don't, um, I don't think about foods in that way anymore, but I, um, you know, triggers are for me is like being too full. Cause that sets off the, like the need to vomit. Um, I would say like the addiction is probably to body weight control. It's to, um, like it's largely control and the control comes up in my body weight. Um, anyways, I know that may not be a popular answer. <laughs> um, I'll just say that I'm not really sure. I know that they keep talking about in the big book that alcohol is but a symptom. And for me, food is that symptom. Um, are there foods that I like better than others? Yes. Some of them I eat, some of them I don't because I like them too much. So, you know, whatever. I mean, some people specifically call themselves food addicts because that helps them clarify who they are. But for me, it doesn't matter. I just, as long as I don't eat the foods that are trigger foods for me, then it's all good. And, you know, like people talked about, thing, that list can change a little bit and some things come off and some things come on. But basically, the more I eat peaceful foods for me or the things that make me feel peaceful, then I don't have to worry about what I am. Like people said, I was a cucumber and now I'm a pickle and I'm never going to be a cucumber again. You know, I heard this and it was just so adorable. They said normal is just a setting on the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> and that is so true for me. Thanks. How do you remain abstinent through illness? I'd like to jump, jump on that quickly. Um, I went through kidney stones about two weeks ago, ended up in the hospital in the worst pain of my entire life. And when I came home, I thought, oh, Laura, you missed dinner. I'm like, meanwhile, I was, pardon my language, but I was throwing my guts up like 25 times from the time I went to the hospital. But I thought, okay, so what? Go to bed. And I did. 
So how do I do it through illness? I just take it a day at a time. I couldn't eat my normal food. I had to eat a little gentler, but it was nothing that was not on my food plan. And I just, you know, whatever. I added something that I thought, oh, I don't know if this is so good. And I threw the rest out and that was the end of it. And I'm grateful for those moments because it's just, you know, it doesn't matter about if I'm sick. I mean, I, I mean, meaning that I won't resort to my trigger foods regardless, because that's just not an option for me today. And, you know, that's why I talked to my sponsor about stuff. If I wasn't sure, here's what I had. I turned that over. I let her know. Uh, and that really helps a lot. So I don't go it alone for sure when I'm ill with my food or with anything else. Thanks. Thank you. Any, anyone else? Yeah, I know my, for myself, I just take you know, at day to time, I've really, really been ill. The last time I felt, you know, like I was ill, ill, it was like some sort of a virus for 24 hours. And this was a little foreign to me. It, you know, unlike being a composite overeater, I couldn't finish the meals. You know, I felt that, you know, I was able to, I was a little foreign to me. So I just had to, you know, I just put up with it a day at a time. And a while back when I was confined to the house for a week because I had pneumonia, I just made sure that I had my absolute foods in the house, you know, enough so that I could have it with me. And I made enough phone calls a day at a time while I was sick, especially that at that time. Uh, Judy, can I respond to that question also? Um I was thinking I haven't had a serious illness. And then I remembered last year I had a, a serious concussion and uh, I was off work for uh, at least six weeks. Um, for me, uh, illnesses like that are really hard because I can't move my body. And I had really, you know, physically um, and I couldn't read. Uh, <laughs> and going to meetings was hard because um, any kind of sensory, I got into sensory overload really easily. Um, during that illness, it was, um, you know, talking to my sponsor, it was reaching out to other people who had uh, been in my shoes. And, um, you know, program has showed me how God shows up in these really strange ways in my life. Um, my sponsor's husband had had a very serious concussion the year before. So she knew exactly what I was going through. And two of my three sponsees had had multiple concussions. Uh, and to me, that was just like, you know, God all over that. Um, yeah, so I have found it difficult, but it is uh, like leaning into the fellowship as I can. Time's up on that question now, uh, Judy. And um, there was a, a question, somebody was uh, not able to um, place it. So I do have the question here, if, if uh, I could ask it, um, Judy. Sure. Okay, the question is, um, it was sent to me, what can non-anorexic bulimic members do to support the anorexic bulimic? And I think it's directed to you, Megan. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I think in part, I think for me, the real answer was focusing on the steps. It was really helpful um, for me to reach out to other people in recovery who had had a history of restricting or bulimia. Uh, but my first sponsor wasn't an anorexic. Um, you know, she was bulimic, but um, she had a really strong program and really worked the steps. I, I think in that case, though, it is just recognizing that um, 
for me anyways, a different food plan was appropriate. It would not have been appropriate for me to have cut out a lot of food groups. It would not have been appropriate for me to be counting my calories. Um, like that's just my own personal story. Um, you know, and I think in some of those instances, it's really helpful to suggest um, that members see a nutritionist that specializes in eating disorders. Uh, you know, I've suggested that many times to sponsees. Um, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a doctor. Um, you know, I know what worked for me, but it may not work for them. Thank you. Um, there's one more question, Megan. Uh, when others didn't relate to you, um, what kept you coming back? I think the, the person who wrote that said that uh, people um, talked about their food plans being different from hers and that was difficult for her. So what kept you coming back regardless of these things and find connections in the program? Uh, you know, so I, the first thing I would say is maybe some of that is mind reading on my part that other people think I don't belong. <laughs> Uh, and that other people think my food plan is weird. There's a lot of mind reading there. Um, I, I sought out people that had a similar story um, and where people didn't have a similar story, you know, we focus, you know, what, what I was sharing around, like if all I focus, like I, I hate talking to other members about food. I find it um, hard, uh, generally speaking. Um, I would focus though on like finding connections through the steps and through, you know, higher power. Um, and in this age of zoom, there's also like all these beautiful meetings that we can find. Um, you know, we can attend meetings on the other side of the country, on the other side of the world. And so, you know, there's also an opportunity to find fellowship, um, you know, with members that may have a, a similar food plan. Can I just jump in on that really quickly? Um, I had wanted to say this during my qualification and didn't that in the beginning of OA, there was definitely some judgment by other people towards me. Like, and I'm not saying I never judged anybody because I've done that myself. And you know what? I just had to understand why God brought me here and I belong. And that's one of the things that our founder, Roseanne, talks a lot about. And I wanted to mention about the pamphlet, OA members come in all shapes and sizes. That was from a while ago. I couldn't find it in my house. But, you know, we all have to stick together and love each other, regardless of whether we eat differently or work the steps differently or whatever. We're here together. Like, I need you guys, all of you, as much as I need the people that I can agree with and whatever. So that's why we have our traditions. We reason things out with each other if we don't agree and we figure it out. And you know what? Plans of eatings come and go, but you know, the fellowship is forever a day at a time and I need you guys. And so, yeah, I do agree with getting people that can um, help you figure out what your truth is around food, but ultimately we all need to work together to just recover. I know I need you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Scott, how do you deal with the relentless nature of the disease besides one day at a time? Does the food still call you? Yes, the food occasionally still calls. You know, believe me, when, I, when I'm busy with something such as at work, somehow I always know when it's getting to lunchtime. It's like a body signal sense to me. And I think that has a lot to do with the nature of the disease. Disease. But when the food calls, I take a little time for some prayer and meditation. If necessary, make a phone call, get myself, get myself 
off the the um, the obsession with the that it, that it can become. So I do do that. Occasionally, a little writing always helps. Also, thank you. What would you say to someone still living with a diet mentality? Anybody? I just have to remember that food is not the enemy. It's what I did with it. I mean, I do think it takes a long time to, for me to change my thinking. I was not a dieter because I never felt like I could do it. I somehow intuitively know I couldn't do it. But I think that like even my mind goes like to calories. I was never like a calorie person, but I could still like get into all this craziness, the fat grams, whatever. And the truth is I look at it to, to figure out what I need to eat you know, as part of my plan, but I just have to remember, like they say, this is not a diet and calories club. We don't endorse any particular plan of eating. That's it. You know, it's pretty simple, but you know, I just have to kind of say to myself, like diet mentality to me sounds like, oh, I'll do this for today and then I'll get off it tomorrow. And that's not the way I work my plan of eating or my absence, my program. It's one day at a time thank you, God, or one minute at a time or one second at a time. And no food is good or bad. It's what I do with this stuff. It's like I was disordered in my thinking and what I did with food. It's not the food that's the problem. I mean, you know, unless you're eating your trigger foods, but that notwithstanding, food is not the problem. It's what I did with it because of my crazy brain. And thank God I have a little bit better of a brain than I did 30, almost 32 years ago. But as you could see by my meltdown a few minutes ago, I'm not cured, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. Thanks. Okay. And I think the last one is, how do you sponsor? What are your requirements for your sponsees? Before that's answered, um, this, this will be the last question. I think we only have time for, for this question. Thank you. How do you sponsor? What are your requirements for your sponsees? Do you have any requirements for your sponsees? I can start uh, on that one if that's okay. Um, so when I was a newcomer, my sponsor told me I had to go to three meetings a, a week and uh, call her every day. That was before email or texting. Um, <laughs> and uh, at the time I thought I was far too busy to do that, but I was really desperate. Um, so as a sponsor now, um, you know, three meetings is not my set, uh, is not my set requirement, but it's usually at least two meetings, depending on the person's life, if they have, you know, what's going on. Um, the requirement though, is to be, uh, willing and to work on the steps. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, to be willing to work on the steps. That's, I make that very clear and to, um, get a support system outside of me because I will fail every sponsee at some point in working with them. Anyone else want, you want to talk about how you sponsor? I know for myself, it's just a, first, you know, it's a sense of doing the step work, but also making a certain number of meetings a week. I know for every, that number could be different for everybody. But also, it's just a sense of honesty that when they keep in touch with me, they should be honest. And just because there's nothing that I would ever look down at them for. So you know, that would ever say anything about it. So that's it. Um, I just want to add that 
you know, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. If you're at step zero and you can't get that willingness, you know, just keep coming back. You can always, I tell people, call me, text me, that's fine. I can't sponsor a lot of people now because I have a lot of people and I'm in a couple of programs. But the point is, I don't tell people like I can't sponsor you unless you eat like I eat or whatever, but I try to get them to see, well, this is what I do. I can only give you what I do or what I've done, or maybe what's, you know, maybe my sponsee could help this person, you know, what has she done or he done or whatever. But basically all I could do is just ask, I mean, like I said earlier, if people can't even call me on time, how can we get the work done? And that I'm a little strict about because that's like old school away, you know, like I don't chase you. You got to call me. Um, and if you want what I have bad enough, I guess you'll do what I do or, you know, that's it. Thank you. Time's up. Thank you, everybody. Scott, um, are, are you going to close the meeting? Yes, I'll do um, that right now. Just before <clears throat> you do that, there has been a question. If, if the speakers want to share their contact information, uh, the the uh, participants would appreciate uh, seeing them in the in the chat. Thank you. Okay. 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 We'd like to thank. Okay, we'd like to thank everybody who attended this panel session. We will now close with the serenity prayer.